0: Take a moment to consider all the factors that impact your health. What comes to mind?
1: Your diet, perhaps your lifestyle, like whether you exercise, drink, or smoke.
0: Maybe you thought about your family history of diseases like cancer or diabetes.
1: But health and well-being go beyond that. The field of public health is about thinking broader, thinking beyond the individual, about how our built environment affects us, how laws and policies impact us, and how the social forces influence our behavior and well-being.
0: Each week, this podcast will discuss one topic from the wonderful world of public health to reveal these ubiquitous hidden forces and artifacts. One episode at a time, we will show how public health is all around us.
1: Welcome to Everything is Public Health.
0: Everything is Public Health. Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ.
1: And I'm Cass.
0: Cass, I'm sure you have been to other countries, but have you ever lived in another country?
1: No, only visited.
0: So I was born in Taiwan and I lived there for uh, multiple of years before immigrating to the United States. And as you know, most other countries that's like developed and wealthy have universal health care, Taiwan being one of them. So Taiwan actually passed its universal health care relatively recently. It was passed right around the time I was born. So in the mid
1: 90s, I remember hearing about that at the time, not like I was a health policy scholar or anything in the 90s, but I remember folks talking about it being a relatively big deal because other economically pure nations had done it already – except for us. Yes. <laughs> um, and then the fact that Taiwan did it in the 90s was noteworthy.
0: Yeah, it was noteworthy because it is relatively recent. Right? Usually when people pass universal healthcare, it was like a while ago, but Taiwan did it in the mid 90s. And it was also the time when the Clintons failed to push their health reform. So it was like a double smack in the face. But <laughs> Taiwan did. Smack <laughs> smack. Smack. But Taiwan did. And Taiwan has universal healthcare. And I remember growing up in Taiwan with universal healthcare. And you can imagine a culture shock when I moved here. Like, what do you mean I can't just go to the hospital? Right. And it was definitely like a weird transition. Like if any one of us got sick in Taiwan, we would kind of just go and it wasn't like a big deal at all. Like we just like, all right, let's take our health card, which is like this card with all our our patient information on it. We'll take our card and we'll just go to any clinic to any hospital. So you did
1: still need like some kind of card. Yeah, but,
0: but it was one card. But
1: you got it and you took it anywhere you wanted.
0: Okay. Yeah. But it was one card and unlike in America which you have to bring like a binder of paper, I've heard some people do. Um but it was just <laughs> one card. <laughs> no, no, some people do. Like not all of us, but some people do if they have a lot of health conditions or they have a lot of like insurance stuff, they there's a lot of documents that they need to worry about. Probably not physical documents, but like digital documents that they need to worry about.
1: I hope in this day and age of electronic health records, people are not still carrying around binders of information.
0: Yeah, most are not. But I will say that the United States is slow in converting into electronic health record. There are definitely clinics that have file paper file cabinets piled up to the ceilings yeah anyway the common theme that you'll see throughout this episode is that the u.s is a little messed up but <laughs> where was i going with this oh so in taiwan universal healthcare. if i had whatever issue that come up if i had a fever if i like bump my head if i like you know sprained my ankle or whatever take our card we go to the hospital it was fine and it was a super huge culture shock when we moved to the united states where essentially it's not that we don't have insurance but my mom being like the one that researched into this, she definitely told us that, hey, like, unless it's serious, like, we pretty much can't go because I don't want to deal with it. Wow. Which is fair because the insurance is a whole mess here.
1: That's so interesting. Having grown up only knowing the system that we have in the US, at least before the Affordable Care Act, like, it just, I recognize that it is a flawed system and it is nothing like most of our economically peer countries, but also. Like, my dad had really good insurance. He worked for Boeing and we didn't worry about it, I didn't think about it. Um, and actually, Boeing was pretty ahead of the curve in terms of providing for dependents because I was on my dad's insurance. Oh, this
0: was before ACA. That's right.
1: Yeah. So, this was before ACA and I was on my dad's insurance until I got to, like, got my first full time job, which would have been at 22. So like, all through college, I was still on my dad's insurance. But other folks that I knew, When they turned 18,
0: they got dropped. They didn't have
1: health insurance through their parents anymore. Yeah,
0: Yeah, like before the ACA. So, with the Affordable Care Act, I believe dependents can be on their parents' insurance until 26, I believe. Yeah. And so, before that, you're pretty much at the whim or at the mercy of the insurance company, whether they want to keep you or drop you if you're a dependent. So, and I think that's another thing that's going to come up. Like in the US, it's not that we don't have good health insurance, it's just that we don't have good health insurance across the board. You see these large inequalities, essentially, in what sort of healthcare and health insurance you can get. Whereas in countries with universal healthcare, it was just expected that everyone had health insurance, so you can just go and get it.
1: It's a weird jigsaw puzzle that still has some huge gaps in it because not everyone has access.
0: Yeah, if we go with the jigsaw analogy, it's like some pieces are pristine brand new out of the box some pieces have like edges missing janky and some pieces are just missing some
1: some janky (laughs) pieces that a dog chewed on
0: yeah yeah or some coffee stained pieces but uh, that's (laughs) so anyway so we talked so much about health insurance but first let's lay the groundwork for what health insurance is so uh, health insurance is an insurance for your health and it's (laughs) what (laughs) you're laughing already we're five minutes in What is going on?
1: Oh, you made me snort. We're, We're ten, 10 minutes in. Um, I don't know. Just the health insurance. It's insurance for your health. It just—it's <laughs> just funny. I don't know.
0: Okay, I it's—it's it's hard to explain, but I'll—I'll I'll try my best to explain it's it. It's
1: early on a Friday morning. I'm sorry. I'll keep my—I'll keep the That's why. peanut gallery comments to myself.
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. What was I saying? Oh, okay, so health insurance. How do I say this? What is health insurance, and why do we need it? So. In the 21st century, medicine has progressed to the point where it is, I want to say, essentially impossible to pay for healthcare with only cash. So assuming you have no insurance, like if you have to pay for everything with just cash
1: unless you're warren buffett
0: unless you're warren buffett unless you're jeff bezos like it is or who's the other guy
1: elon musk
0: yeah unless you're one of those people it is essentially impossible to pay for everything with cash like imagine if to pay for entire surgery from the staff from the anesthesia from the the instruments from the cleaning of the instruments from the drugs that you had to if you have to pay all that cash there's no way There's no way.
1: It's expensive. So just a quick side note to highlight that point of how expensive it is. So my dad and my procedures that were in the fall, all in, I think if my dad had had to pay out of pocket, it would have been, I think, like three quarters of a million dollars, almost a million dollars because of the surgeries and the follow up care and the time in the hospital and everything. So, I mean, like, I don't have that money laying around i mean for like warren buffett he probably sneezes at three quarters of a million dollars and you know right whenever
0: so essentially medicine has progressed to a point it's not necessarily a bad thing like as technology progress things get more and more expensive that's fine but it is essentially
1: they get more expensive and and you get better better
0: care better 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 outcomes outcomes often right so that's not the bad part the bad part is unless you're the ultra rich there's no way anyone is paying for any of this with cash and that's where insurance comes in so how the insurance works is instead of paying things when they come up, you essentially have a group of people pay a little bit at a period of time. So for, for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to say monthly, right? So you have a group of people pay monthly a small fee, and that goes into a bucket of money. And when one of those people in that group has an issue, money is taken out of that bucket to cover the the person's issue that just flared up
1: right it's like pooled risk pooled risk right so the the idea being that some people may need to use healthcare a lot some people won't and you don't always know who those people are and so if you pool a group of people together and they're all contributing then it should be enough to cover everybody's needs it
0: averages out and the amount that people pay into the bucket every month is i won't get into it but essentially like this huge risk calculation for what is the likelihood that that person may need the service and that is essentially how they determine what is paid every month. So a, a term that I need to define first is called a premium. So uh, that amount that you pay to the insurance company every month, uh, we're going to call that a premium.
1: I've always thought calling something... a pr- There's such a weird word, premium, because it's like, it oh, is. it's premium. It's the best. It's the top.
0: No, it's not. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and the key that is important when it comes to pooled risk is that the more people you pool, the cheaper the premium. So the more... People you pool to average out their risk across a, a bigger pool of people. Some have low risk, some have high risk, but the bigger the pool, the lower the premium. So essentially, when you're doing health insurance, you want that pool risk base to be as wide as possible. So obviously, there are a lot of details to get into. I'm not going to get into them here, but this is kind of just like this is just kind of how health insurance works at the very basic level.
1: Just one one side note: because you're paying in advance, and if you're relatively healthy, and young, in particular, you may feel like, "Oh, why am I paying into this that I'm not going to use?" That's just one thing to think about. It. It's sometimes a hard sell for young, healthy people to say, "Oh, buy insurance." That you like, if you never get sick. Like my nephew, he's twenty. Oh my God, how old is he? Twenty-five. Oh, that makes me feel so old. I think you're the same age as my nephew. Correct. Oh <laughs> Um. Anyway, so my nephew is 25. Love him. He's great. He's super healthy. Very fit and all that. But like he's the quintessential young person who would say, why am I buying insurance? I never get sick.
0: Yeah, like a lot of... Young people, when they're healthy and they don't use the healthcare service that much, a premium to them feels like they're paying into something that they cannot see the outcome of. Right? They feel they feel like they're just—it's like a essentially like a tax. Like I'm paying something, but I don't get to see the benefit. And that is a mechanics in health insurance or just insurance in general that uh, people in the industry are very worried about. It's called adverse selection. So essentially, imagine a group of people, and let's say uh, let's make up a number. Let's say half of the people in that group. They're very healthy and they are saying to themselves, why am I paying a premium every month into nothing essentially? And those half of people drop out right. because they don't want to pay their premiums anymore. They would rather spend their premiums on, I don't know, food, beer, groceries or pizza things. right? But the issue is if you have healthy people drop out, what's left over, the pool risk becomes higher because essentially you don't have the healthy people lowering the pooled risk the poor risk becomes higher and the insurance company will be like, well, this is not going to work. We need to adjust our calculations. So they will raise their premium on the rest of the group to cover for the newly elevated risk.
1: Right. And the other issue, I'm just thinking about it now when we're thinking about adverse selection, these young people, they might not have issues right now, which means they could get less expensive health insurance. As they get older, as soon as they have any kind of chronic or pre-existing condition, then they're going to end up paying more because they opted out or may have opted out early, then like they just end up paying more later because the risk is higher because when they're older and need health insurance, there's all these young people, younger than them, who are now opting out, right? It's sort of this... Yeah.
0: So essentially what happens is the insurance company raises the premiums and then another portion in the group that's left over said, well, this premium is now too high and I think I'm like healthy enough to not pay this so more people drop out. The premium raises again, and then more people drop out. And essentially, adverse selection is what happens at the end of that. The people who are remaining on the insurance are a bunch of high-risk people, and there's not enough low-risk people to sort of bring that pooled risk down and bring the premiums down. So that's sort of the groundwork for what health insurance is. So why is healthcare policy and health insurance public health? Well, let me introduce to you the beautiful and messed up world that is the U.S. healthcare policy. We know for a fact and this is backed by research that if you don't have the health insurance, you are simply less likely to seek care in general. Specifically, you are less likely to see preventative and primary care.
1: Which makes sense.
0: Yeah, which makes sense. Like If you don't have coverage, you're going to have to pay essentially out of pocket. And that's going to discourage you from seeking care that is essentially not
1: immediate. It's a catch-22 because if you aren't seeking preventive or primary care to keep things from happening or to manage chronic conditions... Those things get worse, and then you end up in the emergency department or with some other sort of more expensive procedures that are needed. So it's like we're disincentivizing people focusing on prevention, which is like one of the core pieces of public health.
0: Yeah, public health is all about prevention. And we're all about the the fact that if you have good prevention and if you have good primary care, you can essentially save a lot of money down the road. So example would be catching colon cancer early because you get your routine colon Uh, What do you call colonoscopy or catching breast cancer early because you get your mammograms or having HPV vaccine, which prevents cervical cancer, though these are all preventative and primary care that is essentially you don't see the immediate benefit, right? So if you have to pay for all this out of pocket, if you don't have insurance coverage, you're going to see these services as more or less a burden because you don't see immediate benefits and you're paying money and public health is all about prevention. So the reason why there's a whole sector of public health that is focused on healthcare policy is because healthcare policy essentially determines, I mean, it, it determines a lot of things, but one of the areas of focus, it it's trying to get more people to be covered by health insurance. Because the more people covered by health insurance, the more likely that they're going to utilize these preventative and primary care services. And that's going to prevent a lot of further costs down the line. And that's why healthcare policy is public health. And that's why Lowering the uninsured rate or getting everyone covered is something that public health and health policy is really, really trying to work on.
1: Yeah, so I think a challenge with the way we have primarily based our healthcare system through employer based insurance is that if you were changing jobs or starting a new job, there's often a waiting period before your insurance kicks in. So one of my dear friends, he had been working sort of some odd part-time jobs, doing some different things, and then had finally gotten his dream job. And he was supposed to start on a Monday.
0: Congratulations. He was
1: was very excited. And my understanding is that came with benefits and, and whatnot. But Saturday, so he's supposed to start on a Monday. On a Saturday, he wakes up and he feels... Awful. Feels like he's dying. Feels like he's got cement in his abdomen. Just doesn't feel well. So he goes at like six o'clock in the morning to the emergency department. They do some tests. Turns out he has an appendicitis and he needs to have surgery. So he had surgery. He didn't have insurance. And so he didn't stay for very long. He was there for like less than, I don't know, 12 hours maybe. They did the surgery. He wanted to go home. So, you know, he went home. But he didn't have insurance. So he had to, he was going to have to pay.
0: It was two days away.
1: Yeah. So, and he's supposed to start a new job. So he had to delay starting his new job because of lift restrictions and things. But then all of that comes out of pocket. So the cost for the emergency department, which by the way, they charged him an extra fee for showing up before 8 a.m. to the emergency department. Ugh. which like why that's a thing. Um, but then in addition to like the actual room and the treatment and all that kind of stuff, he then also had to pay physician fees. He had to pay anesthesiology fees, all these things. So he got very very lucky that the hospital worked with him and was able to provide some charity care because otherwise it would have been tens of thousands of dollars.
0: If not more, but he yeah. He
1: still had to separately pay the cost of the anesthesiologist and all those other things. So it's just like this is a young healthy guy who hasn't had a lot of issues who now suddenly has an emergency situation. It's like you you can't not go to the emergency department for an appendicitis that will kill you if you don't get it treated. And he waited as long as he could and then, you know, he ended up in a situation where he had to have surgery, but he didn't have insurance.
0: He was two days away from insurance.
1: Yeah. So, but if we were in a situation where we had basic coverage for everyone, at least in emergency situations like that, again, I think we should have basic coverage for everyone for preventive and primary care because, you know, you not in the case of an appendicitis because that's a, a separate thing, but diabetes and heart disease and some of these other things, right? And and vaccinations. But we need a a system that provides basic coverage for people so that you don't end up in a situation where you are uninsured and you have to choose between getting treatment for something or not. I'm going to get off my soapbox now.
0: No, no, that's very good because this is a glimpse into the beautiful and messed up world of US healthcare policy, as I said in the beginning. And yeah, like you can you can see just from this one example, like why being uninsured is something that we we do not want for for anyone. And that's why public health people, especially those working in health policy, are working very hard to try to get that number down to zero. So how can you be uninsured in this country? Well, let's, let's just run through the list of all the ways that you can be uninsured in this country. Most people are insured through their employers, and this is sort of a historical artifact that uh, essentially stemmed from World War II when they had a wage freeze. Uh, Employers wanted to attract workers, but they can't raise their wages, so they attract workers by providing health insurance. And honestly, that is not a terrible idea, but it's just a historical artifact that most people get their health insurance through their employers. But let's run through the exception. This is not always the case. First of all, companies are technically not legally required to provide any health insurance, that they are encouraged to do so. And they may get a small penalty if they don't, but they are not legally required to provide health insurance. Uh, Especially, I believe there are also other exemptions like church organizations are not required to provide one. And I believe if you're self-insured, you don't have to follow benefit guidelines that's put forth by the government. But there's a lot of exceptions to this. So not every company provide their employees with health insurance.
1: Well, and you can also get around some companies are they offer full-time employees benefits, which requires you to work a certain number of hours. And so companies will say, okay, we'll hire you, but you only work 30 hours a week instead of 37 hours a week. And so you're not full-time and we don't have to offer you benefits or we'll hire you as a contractor. So we'll pay you a little bit more per hour or a little bit more salary, but we don't give you any benefits.
0: Yeah. So there's many ways. You just mentioned the two of the main ways, which is keep people part-time and also contract people instead of hiring them. Those are two of the main ways that an employer could not give their employees health insurance. Also, if you're self-employed or if you work in a small business, you pretty much have to find your own health insurance, right? And health insurance on the individual market or on a small group market is very, very expensive. So if your employer doesn't give it to you, paying out of pocket, you face a very, very steep cost. So that's all the ways that you could be uninsured. And there are also, if you're low income, you may have trouble affording insurance. And we'll come back to this in a future episode when we talk about what the Medicaid gap is.
1: Well, there's another issue that, so you have people who are uninsured, meaning they don't have insurance, but then you have people who are underinsured, meaning they have insurance, but either doesn't cover enough, like those catastrophic plans that we've talked about, or it's just so useless and complicated that it's, they might as well not be insured. Like they have they have such poor coverage provided to them. And then you have people who are insured, right? It's, it's, it's not a black and white. You have a spectrum.
0: You do have a spectrum. And remember how we talked about a big part of health insurance is encouraging people to seek primary and preventative care. And so if you're underinsured or if you have these like really, really bad insurance plans, you are essentially disincentivized to utilize those primary and preventative services. And again, that sort of defeats the purpose of insuring people early and insuring people across the board. And the scale of this problem, so in 2019, the data that we have, about 28.9 million, so almost 29 millions of non-elderly individuals were uninsured. And the reason why I say non-elderly is because this country has this thing called Medicare. So if you're above, I want to say 65 you are covered via Medicare, essentially. So, this is why we have to say a non elderly individual. But still, almost 29 million people are uninsured in 2019.
1: Okay, let's, can we put that into perspective? So, what proportion of, we have what, 300 and something million people? This is almost 10%. Well, if you exclude. The non-elderly population, like what proportion of the U.S. population is over the age of 65? Because it's actually, it's, you know, it sounds like 10% of the population, but I actually think it's more than that.
0: Do you have access to Google?
1: I have access to Bing.
0: (laughs) Okay, ask Bing. So what is the population of the U.S. under 65? Math in progress. 277 million is non-elderly.
1: Okay, so then what percent is 29 million
0: 29 out of 277. So yeah, 10%, 10% of non-elderly individuals were uninsured in 2019, which that's a lot of people. (laughs) That's a lot of people that's uninsured. And all those people are not seeking primary and preventative services. They're not covered. So they're probably avoiding seeking healthcare as much as they can, unless they absolutely need to. And this is not even including the people that you brought up, which is the underinsured people who have very, very bad health insurance that don't seek primary uh, preventative services. So the scale of the problem is very big.
1: So I think an important takeaway is that when we're thinking about the relationship between sort of healthcare care and medicine and public health, it's again bringing the tools of public health, which are prevention. So can you get vaccinations, get other sort of primary care screening, those kinds of things that can hopefully slow down any chronic conditions, identify them before they become a a bigger problem, that primary prevention focus, that public health lens, we have so many folks who aren't able to take advantage of that. And so we need to do a better job of pulling these public health principles into the umbrella of the U.S. healthcare system because somebody's paying for this anyway, right? Like we can say, oh, you know, these people aren't insured and and the the burden is falling on them. And sure, to a certain extent, it is. But like we could do a whole nother episode on uncompensated care, where like hospitals and the government, they're paying for this care already, we could provide people resources to get the prevention, get the screening, take care of themselves in advance and save money. Or we can continue in this system where we're just paying for things when stuff gets real bad then, you know, we could do a better job there. Vote.
0: Yeah, for sure. And again, yeah, this is one of the reasons why healthcare policy is public health, because by providing everyone with coverage, by having a good health policy in place, we can essentially cover all these people and essentially prevent a lot of these costs and injuries and deaths and harms down the line.
1: Right. And it's not about... Spending more money, in my mind, we're just reallocating Mm -hmm. the money that we're already spending to focus on prevention.
0: And we didn't even touch on this, but all the stuff that we didn't catch early, all those things eventually evolve into something that we have to spend a lot of money on, like 10 years, 20 years down the line. Helping people to eat healthy and helping people to live a healthier lifestyle is much cheaper than treating diabetes mellitus, like 20 years down the line which is why health policies like this and making sure people get their primary and preventative services are very, very important. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more and more people can learn about the wonderful omnipresent essence of public health.
1: New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, keep an eye out for some bonus episodes that might be dropping on a Monday in the future. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH or Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth.
0: Send us questions or comments to everything is public health at gmail.com. Also, reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Crafasi. And if you're interested in seeing any of my delicious gluten-free baking creations, this week I'm going to be making banana split cupcakes. You can follow me on Instagram at CassPhD.
0: Please also give us a rating and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help us immensely. Don't forget to like, share, and comment as well. If you want to support the show directly, we have a Patreon page, and you can find the link for that in the episode description below.
1: And remember, everything is public health.
0: Everything is public health.